Americas, live and underway from the capital of Qatar, Doha. Beautiful images of city center as we get set for elimination soccer here at the 2022 World Cup. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. How you doing, bro? You ready? Are you I'm ready good, for some knockout, knockout issue, round action? Issue with my we're knock, we're knockout rounds. Yes, yeah, coming. Already? It's coming. It's Woo! here. Uh, we just minutes ago put a bow on the group phase. So we got our brackets all lined up. We're going to break those down a little bit later in the show. Also later in the show, El Profe Juan Carlos Osorio will be back with another look at El Pizarron, a tactics lesson for all of us. He's going to break down not just the U.S. approach potentially against Netherlands, but also I know you're watching. what this Dutch team is you know good you at and maybe where their weaknesses might be found. Should be very uh, interesting there with El Profe. But uh, I think, Herc, we got to start with a game that everybody back home cannot wait to get started early on Saturday morning. It's a round of 16, the United States against Netherlands. The American team training for a final time before the game. Of course, training at uh, Khalifa International Stadium. At the Wiz. We got an injury update. Christian Pulisic has been cleared. Greg Berhalter in his press conference saying, Pulisic, quote, looks pretty good. Josh Sargent, on the other hand, who we know is dealing with an ankle injury, Berhalter said he was a little less hopeful about Sargent's potential availability versus the Dutch. Of course, our Sam Borden has been covering the team throughout the tournament, and today he went one-on-one -on -one with Christian Pulisic. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, uh, you know, improving day by day and uh, doing everything I can with the medical team to, you know, try to get ready for the next one. So let's go back to the goal. I mean, it seems like an incredible mix of Emotion, positive emotion about scoring, but also physical pain. Can you describe what those moments leading up to making contact with the ball was and then what happened afterwards? Yeah, I mean, a great ball across from Weston and, and, you know, when, you know, Serge gets in that area, I know the ball's going to be in front of the goal. So uh, I just had to, you know, book it, try to get in front of that defender. And uh, luckily I was able to do so. And, you know, I didn't even think about, um, you know, taking a hit or, or, you know, being brave. I just, oh, I just wanted that goal. I wanted to get there in time um, for the chance that the ball would arrive. And sure enough, it did. And uh, yeah, of course, once it happened, it was a strange moment because it was, it was extremely painful. But, um, you know, it was all worth it, of course, to get the goal. Did, did did you, were you able to celebrate like internally or was the pain physically so overwhelming? Um, I mean, it was a bit of an, a weird moment for me because like there wasn't really guys like going, like celebrating around me. They were kind of like, oh, you know what happened? You know, making sure I was okay. So it wasn't much of like a celebration, but I knew once I figured out that like, okay, the goal counted and it stood, I didn't know with offsides with anything nowadays. Um, once I, you know, obviously there was a big joy there, but it was kind of a, it was a strange. It was a strange one for sure. Without the big celebration and being able to, you know, enjoy that moment. You talked the other day about the difference that you feel in terms of the pressure from a few years ago, a cycle ago, uh, being sort of the biggest star on this team. Can you describe what's different about you then versus now? I would say. I've of course grown a lot as a player and a person, and I think I've I've improved in a lot of ways. I think I've uh, I have a really good mix of um, you know taking responsibility and knowing you know my my part in this team, but at the same time um, you know accepting and and, and 
realizing what a special group we have here and what good players we have here. So, uh, you know, it's taken whatever pressure there might have been off of me to, to provide. I, I've said it and I, I don't feel that way because of the strong team that we have. Um, you know, however you want to look at me, um, I, I've, I just, I love playing with this team. I, I love um, the feeling of knowing that they have my back no matter what, and, and I have theirs. And uh, with that, I just feel much more confident going into games, and I truly, you know, believe that we can, that we can play anybody and beat anybody. Is, is that change from a mental standpoint for you? Do you think that's freed you up in terms of the way you're able to play on the field when you're with this team? I would say, yeah, knowing that there's 10 guys next to me, um, you know, playing at top clubs in the world, you know, top players, um, and, you know, another however many guys on the bench ready to come in who are also, you know, extremely strong players, knowing that anyone can do a job, you know, in this team, it's, it, it for sure frees, frees me up mentally, but just frees us up as a team in general and, and allows us to, um, you know, to be ourselves and, and, and to believe that, you know, we truly have that next man up mentality as well. So we, we have such such a strong group of guys here that it absolutely you know gives us confidence and also a bit of calmness um, that we have you know a good enough team to do this. Coming into this tournament, you guys talked about the first step, just getting out of the group stage. You did that. Now that you're in the knockout rounds, what is success to you? <laughs> I would say. You know, we have a, a great matchup against against the Netherlands, a very strong team, an experienced team. Um, but we take it one game at a time now, and a success, you know, each game is, is winning the game, and it's simple as that. So, we, you know, we're going to battle. Uh, it's by no means going to be an easy one for us, um, and we're going to give absolutely everything to try to win this game. Um, we, you know, we finished our first objective, like we mentioned. You know, we got out of the group, uh, which we can be extremely proud of, but now that we're here, we're not just okay with doing that so now we want to do everything and 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 move on to the next round there's been a, a real groundswell of support for you back home people watching soccer casual fans that don't watch it all the time behind this team are you able to feel that here and what does it mean to you i think uh I've seen, you know, a few videos and, and heard things. I'm not a big, uh, you know, social media guy. I haven't really, like, been able to experience it like maybe I did when I was younger. Um, but I, I know that the support has been phenomenal. Um, I mean, every time the World Cup comes around, that's when you can guarantee that there'll be some Americans cheering you on. It's the best time. Um, and uh, it feels great. And, and we truly do feel the support. Even here, the people that have traveled, the people that have been cheering us on has actually been uh, pretty incredible, even though it's all the way, you know, across the world. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been, you know, really great having the support. This is the, the, the moment that you've been pointing to for years, it feels like. I'm sure you've been dreaming about it for even longer than that. How does it compare to what you imagined? Uh, I mean, it's everything and more, to be honest. Um, to be in the World Cup knockout stage, um, to be here representing my country, um, it's absolutely what I dreamed of. So I'm, I'm so proud, um, but I, uh, I, you know, when I look back on this experience, I want it to, to last as long as it can, and I want to just keep moving on and, uh, you know, make this something that we look back on for the rest of our lives and, and be extremely proud. Last thing, I mean, you, you talked about those fans. All those fans are worried about whether you're going to be out there against the Netherlands. At this point, what would it take for you not to be out there? I think um, I'm going to do everything in my power uh, with, with this unbelievable staff and medical team and uh, 
make sure that however long I can be out on that field, I'll be out there giving my 110% no matter what uh, because I owe it to this game, I owe it to this team, I owe it to the country back home, and uh, I'm going to do everything I can. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. All right, for more on the U.S. versus Netherlands, welcome into the show, Taylor Twelman. TT, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. We've talked a lot about Christian Pulisic throughout this tournament. Uh, what have you thought of his performances so far through the first three games? First off, it is great to see your lovely faces. Uh, I'm glad you guys are surviving. I, I, honestly, I think Christian's been fantastic. I think Christian's been very good. Um, I, I've been critical of Christian in the past, and I think you guys are going to find this interesting on how I try to articulate this. There's a difference between playmaking and making plays. I don't think Christian Pulisic is a playmaker. I think he's a player that makes plays, and particularly when he's off the ball and he's just relentless in space and trying to use the pace instead of playing inside all the time which is where we saw him in World Cup qualifying when he's trying to get in behind when he's trying to play in space get on the end of crosses the way he did against Iran I don't think the U.S. has a better player in that spot and that's where I think the U.S. thrive and ultimately I think against the Netherlands on Saturday, if that's the Christian Pulisic you get, particularly on the counter, then I think they can surprise anyone because you got Timothy Weah on the other side. When he is making plays instead of trying to play make, Herc, I think he's operating at his best. He's absolutely right. Because when you look at what Christian Pulisic thought a 10 was, he thought it was supposed to be operating centrally. And now he's acting more like a modern 10, where you start on the wing and your actions take you centrally, but to finish or start things off, not so much on the ball. We spoke to Demarcus Beasley about this. Don't do too much, was what Demarcus Beasley said to Christian Pulisic. He's doing less and it's showing more. Quick update here. Uh, Jeff Carlisle tweeted this, who was at training session today. He said, I thought Pulisic looked kind of iffy, especially while cutting, but it was also a warm-up, so take that uh, for what it's worth. Speaking of injury concerns, Taylor, there's a doubt about Josh Sargent tomorrow. So let's say Sargent isn't available. Mm -hmm. What do you do with the number nine? Man, this is a really good question because, honestly, the number nine position has been uh, anemic, to say the least, except I think Josh Sargent underrated against Iran. I thought his hold-up play and link-up play was very good. He had some great touches, some great layoffs, and so now they've got to find a way to find a reference point. I, we all know, and, and Herc and Seb, you heard me say this during the Morocco friendly in Cincinnati, that I thought they should have tried in one of those friendlies Timothy Weah through the middle in a game like this when you know you're going to try to catch those off the counter. Greg Berhalter's not going to do that. And so without Josh Sargent, you're going to have to find a way to play off of someone. And I'm a little surprised we have not seen Jesus Ferreira at all. Ferreira has been a player that operates in the holes, that has pace, that can play in the channels. He doesn't have to play with his back to goal all the time. And yet we saw against Iran, Haji Wright come off the bench, which left me a little perplexed because I would have felt like Giovanni Reyna or even Jesus could have come into that. So I'm not sure. I'd be shocked if it's not Haji Wright, if Josh Sargent is available, just because of the way Greg Berhalter has set this team up and the way he's called on numbers. But then again, I don't know if that's the right decision. Josh Sargent 
is your best nine, your most talented nine, and he had himself a game against Iran. Uh, Mm -hmm. Taylor, he led you with this question. This is what he does. He, he, he leads you where he wants to go. He wants you to say Timothy Weah should be the nine. He wants you to say that's Fantasy who you should go football, with. Baby. And you know what? That's exactly who you should go with. Uh-huh. The way he hurt this team, this Netherlands team, is with movement, is with spaces, the spaces they will afford you. Blind on the left side, Dumfries on the right, Ake, if it's uh, Delit or if it's uh, Van Dijk, there will be spaces to exploit in between those wingbacks and those center backs. Diagonal movements from the nine or those wingers. Timothy Weah is a hell of a choice. And if Greg Berhalter really wanted to take this game by the scruff, that's who you go with. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to give the update here from the training session as well. Paul Tenorio of The Athletic is saying that Josh Sargent, quote, looks good and that he is, quote, way more optimistic about Sargent's availability than he was following Greg Berhalter's press conference. So again there, uh, maybe the manager's throwing up some smoke signals here. What do you think? Maybe a smoke screen uh, for the Dutch hurt. Yeah, why play your hand? Right. I mean, he's right. already playing with free money. Why play right. your hand, right? Right. Uh, so plenty of options there uh, potentially for the number nine, and maybe we do get, as, uh, as I said, some fantasy football. All right, uh, let's talk about the storyline that has really dominated this team, and it's a player who's hardly been on the field. Of course, I'm talking about Gio Reyna, and of course, Greg Berhalter was asked about Reyna in today's press conference, and he had some very interesting comments on it. Quote, this is again from the U.S. national team manager Greg Berhalter. I think a lot of it comes down to timing and circumstance. If you look at how the games have unfolded, we've had the lead and had to hold on to the lead later in games. Berhalter would continue. The only game that we didn't have that scenario, we actually put him in to help get that victory. So it's just how we can use him in the most effective way. All right, Taylor, so one, what do you think of the comments here from Greg Berhalter, the explanation, and then what do you think Gio Reyna's potential role could be against the Netherlands in this game? I immediately reacted to this on Twitter. This has been my stance on this on all the other shows we've done on this network throughout the entire World Cup. And this is also why this is the greatest sport in the world. There's a million ways to skin a cat. And I think there's a real debate to be had here. I think the debate is, is that the United States in those moments don't need to to bunker. They don't need to try to grind out a result. You can bring in an attacking player like Giovanni Reyna to combat the other team chasing the game, especially against Iran. Guys, Iran does not want to attack. They wanted to bunker in. So the moment you scored the first goal, it was going to go completely against their grain. I'm bringing on Brendan Aronson and Giovanni Reyna immediately at the start of the second half. I'm scoring the second goal, and I'm putting it away. I'd argue I'm bringing in Giovanni Reyna the moment I'm up a goal against Wales. I think Greg Berhalter, for whatever reason, I think he's very forthcoming about the reason. I just don't know if I agree with it because if I go to transfer market right now, Giovanni Reyna is the second most expensive American in the world. So you're talking about top two, top three most talented players you have in this conversation is acting as if you bring on Giovanni Reyna and now all of a sudden you're you're defending with 10 men. Like he doesn't know how to play anything tactically on the defensive side of things. I think it should be the biggest talking point. I'm shocked it hasn't been on certain uh, programs and whatnot. I look at this, I disagree with Greg Berhalter, I appreciate him being honest, but I'm not totally sure in those two instances I gave you guys, I'm not sure that was the right decision to defend and bunker, and I would have brought him on and tried to put the game away. 
You know, it's so interesting. We think of, and I think as fans, you think, okay, well, we need to hold on to a lead. I'm going to put on a defensive player. But Taylor's pointing out that's not always the best way to hold on to a lead. No, no. We've spoken about it as well, about holding on to the, to the lead. It wasn't nine minutes. It ended up being 18 minutes. Mm -hmm. Your team doesn't play that way. You're going against your own DNA. Uh, somebody's lying here. Something's just not right because I can't for the life of me imagine Greg Berhalter on purpose leaving out a player that's healthy with the talent level and capacity level of a Giovanni Reina. Right. That ceiling is higher than any other U.S. player on this squad or maybe that I've ever seen. That's just a reality with that ceiling. Now, the way to beat this Dutch team is through the midfield, okay? With the MMA, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, you will overpower Frankie de Jong and whoever he's got with him because I think Louis van Gaal has his uh, doubts right there of who that partner is. You're not gonna do more than they will with the ball but you can really hurt them physically, the way this team defends through the midfield. But there's going to come a time where they're going to overpower you, outmatch you with their ball control, mm -hmm. and you're going to need somebody to get the ball. You're going to need somebody who wants the ball. You need somebody who feels comfortable on the ball in the final third. And it could be to start or later in the game, whatever the case may be, that is Giovanni Reina. That is how you withstand. That is your way of bunkering. You play forward. You don't sit back. There's a philosophical question there, too, right? Do you hold on to a lead, or are you the type of team that goes in search of a second and kills the game? And that's probably an evolution thing, a maturity thing. As, as a team gets better and more confident, maybe they chase that second Let, let me ask both of you a question. Yeah. How angry must Gio Reyna be right now? Well, I no, mean... No, I'm honest. Yeah. How angry must you? And you play with Clint Dempsey. You play with Clint Dempsey, Taylor. How, and he reminds me so much of Gio, that chip on his shoulder. Hmm. How angry must he be, and how must he be chomping at the bit to get on the field? Yeah, I don't know if you can quantify that, to be quite honest with you guys. Um, you're also, you, we're also not talking about the fact that Greg Berhalter and Claudio Reyna are best of friends. I mean, the best of friends here. Right. And so there's a dynamic here that is extremely interesting. I don't think Greg is lying in the sense of circumstance. I think Greg is looking at it differently, and I can completely disagree with that. But I don't think there's an injury here. And I think the opening game, the way Greg handled it and brought up fitness test and then walked that back two or three days later, that led to some skepticism, and rightfully so, because there's a change of message, as you just brought up, Herc. But you're talking about imagining how mad Giovanni Reina is. I don't think you can quantify that. I just hope for the U.S. men's national team perspective, guys, <laughs> He can tap into that if he's called upon in the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes of that game to try to steal a winner. I'm not so sure if I'm the Dutch. I want Giovanni Reina coming on the field because I'm with her. There is a level of potential there that the United States have never had. And now you've kind of lit a, lit a fire under him, right? You're now asking real questions about his yep. for mental fortitude and the ability to pull this together. If I'm the Dutch and I'm Louis van Gaal, I'm not sure I want him coming off the bench. Yeah. I don't know that I think somebody's lying, but I do think there are two Something truths Something doesn't here. add up. I think there are two truths yes. here. I think, I think the, the, we said the, it before. It may be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, the manager believes one thing and the player believes another, and it's probably the, the truth for both. Uh, Taylor, as you look at this Dutch team, we've now had a chance to see them three times. What's your biggest worry from a U.S. perspective? 
That's a real good question as well, Seb, because I haven't been very impressed with the Dutch, and yet they've been very professional in how they've gone about their business, right? Their group, you could argue, was a little easy. They were, I, I think, had a few moments in that second game where they looked uh, a little out of it. They just haven't been dynamic enough, so I'm not scared about it. However, I guess to answer your question, because I haven't done that to this point, is that if all of a sudden they do show up, if all of a sudden everything firing together if their possession and their position understanding of space which by the way has sculpted Greg Berhalter and the way he managed so that's going to be an interesting yep. talking point that nobody's talking about here in the United States but when you look at that aspect the one thing that concerns me is the Dutch haven't hit third fourth and even fifth gear and if they do it may be too much but I, I just think they leave too much space on the counter going the other way. Yes, they may have the best center back partnership in this tournament. I just don't think they've been at their best. So my biggest worry is all of a sudden Saturday morning here in the States, they show their best and it's too much for the United States to overcome. You know, they haven't hit fifth gear, as Taylor points out, but if we listen to what our Dutch colleagues said last night, they haven't really been tested either, so no, they, well, it's both ways, If right? you look at the first game versus Senegal, it was two Mendy airs at the right. goalkeeping position that gifted them the game. Uh, they overwhelm you in the attack with yep. their possession. They get a lot of opportunities. Uh, Klaassen and Ngakpo, who's been on fire, he's got three goals right now, but it really is what they do with the ball. But if you look at that Ecuador game, Ecuador scored two goals. One was called back and then they hit the woodwork. Ecuador should have won that game and they did it by being intelligent, disciplined and lethal with speed on the counter. You can hurt this team. There are going to be pockets of space. Uh, to the point that Taylor brings up, Greg did as a player spend some time in Netherlands. Is yeah. that You think that's like some kind of an advantage that he has a spe specific appreciation of Dutch football and when we know with the Dutch it's not just like oh Mexican football or US football where there are a multitude of different ways. When you know Dutch football you know Dutch football, right? You do. You know Dutch football. But I don't think Louis van Gaal with this team is practicing Dutch football. This is right. a very defensive team. Pascal, our correspondent, told us that. The own, their own people kind of are downing them. What I will say is very interesting that Greg Berhalter always spoke about profile of players. Mm -hmm. And it was the physical players he wanted for the World Cup because he was going to face physical opponents in Wales and in the English national team. He left off Ricardo Pepe, who plays in the Eredivisie. Mm. He never thought about maybe that little wrinkle. It's going to be an interesting dynamic. All right, uh, Taylor, I know from time to time you might know some people who like to, to throw some shekels around on, on, on the lines that come out of Vegas. Uh, so there's a term, you know, a free roll, a free hit. Um, the U.S. is here in the round of 16 after a World Cup where they didn't even qualify. It's the second youngest team here. In that regard, people are saying, well, it's a free hit. But then you look at the matchup, and I think, you know, kind of what we're getting out of this conversation is there's there's a real opportunity here, especially when you start thinking what could potentially be next in the bracket, a showdown with Lionel Messi and Argentina in the quarterfinals. Or Duke uh, in Australia. Sure, of course, of course. <laughs> not, yeah, so let's, let's give the Socceroos their, their, their just due here on Football Americas. But Taylor, is, is it a free hit for you still, or is this a game now with some pressure for the U.S.? <laughs> Oh, I don't think there's any pressure, Seb. And I love the way you phrased it. Uh, I don't okay. think there's any pressure. I think there was pressure to get out of the group stage because I think um, with 2026 on the horizon and being in your backyard and ultimately with this generation of player that's dominated this roster for Greg Berhalter just getting into their prime, they needed to have some positive experience, some positive reinforcement that they're on the upward trajectory of a generation that's going to do things. So now 
I, I don't think there's any pressure. And I think as long as the name on the other side of the field is a Netherlands, is an Argentina, is a Brazil, if they get all the way to the semifinal, then they're playing with house money. So there's no pressure on that. You, you can argue there's pressure because it's a World Cup knockout round game. But when the United States men mm -hmm. are underdogs, they thrive in that role way more than when they're in that conversation of, oh, they're kind of favored or they're on par. This is still the Dutch. This is still the best nation to never win a World Cup. And as close as they got with Johan Cruyff and the way they transformed so much of the way we look at soccer around the world, I just don't think there's any pressure on Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Yunus Musa in this generation, and I think that works in their favor. Let it ride. What yeah. pressure? I mean, look, look, look at the roster, the Netherlands roster, the U.S. roster, line for line. You've got Van Dyke. You've got Frankie de Jong. You've got Memphis Depay, who's not even playing here. You've got Gakpo, who's got three goals right now, a legendary coach of Van Gaal. There is no pressure right here. You have to let this right. It's 2026 was always a goal, but what they just achieved right now, I mean, you have to really, really, really examine what type of run they can do in 2026 off of what they're showing right now. These kids are 21, 22 years old right now, right. today. You said they were the second youngest team. Guess what? They're officially the youngest team in this competition. If right not for now. Tim Ream. No, oh, yeah, right once now. Ghana goes out. Right, right. Uh, fair point there. All right, uh, speaking of throwing some shackles, uh, we have asked not just Herc, but Taylor. Uh, to dive into a segment we have here on Football Americas called Book It, uh, where we, where we kind of dig into the prop bets. We try to find some real value for the folks uh, at home. So, Taylor, what have you found? What are you looking at? Where do you see value here? There it is. <laughs> make what it did rain. you say on Scott Van Pelt the other day? Scared money don't make money? That's right. Scared money don't make money, Seb. Scared money don't make money. Here's the one thing that has stood out to me. It's a trend that is, uh, as I like to say my family, when we are looking at trends, you know exactly where they're coming from. And I've spoken to a lot of guys that have been gambling <laughs> and looking at this World Cup. First half goalless draws. 18 in the group stage. Mm. 18 of them, and that's a lot. And, wow. and the way I look at this, and the way the United States, I think has, it, it, it has surprised some people that the United States have not given up a goal from open play. And so when you throw that on top of the way the Netherlands have played, it wouldn't surprise me one iota if this is a stalemate in the first 45, and then the pressure is on both managers to try to find a way. And if you need to find another bet, I couldn't find the exact number. I saw five and a half. I saw six and a half. I actually like the under on Matt Turner saves. I'm not sure the Netherlands are going to pepper the goal the mm. way we saw in 2014 where Tim Howard had to stand on his head and make 100 saves against Belgium. Yeah, to his case right here, uh, the Netherlands have only given up one goal. Just in general. Right. Two very good defenses. Plus, so it's I, a knockout round. You just expect there's going to be 10. Nobody wants to get hurt right away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went with Weston McKinney to have one or more shots on goal during the 90 minutes or stoppage time right. and in pace, plus 225. Listen, Weston, we've not seen, we've seen his trademark Whoa. arriving late to finish off a play once. Once. And that was against the English national. That was against England. He's got one shot on frame in him, Taylor. He's got one easily. I'm taking Tyler Adams plus 230, Taylor. You like either of those? Tyler Adams to get a yellow card plus 230. <laughs> I think there's some good value there. 
Oh my he goodness, both of you him. guys. I literally, I'm going to do that literally right when I'm off this show. I'm taking both your bets. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I actually might parlay those bets. Scared money don't with make what money. what I did because those two are brilliant. There you go. Okay, uh-uh. And the Tyler Adams one, I love. The Weston McKenney one, 100%. Well done, boys. Good to see your faces. All right. There we go. There he is, there uh, Taylor Twum. Catch him in just a few minutes on Sports Center. TT, thanks for joining us here on Football Americas, man. Always great to have you. Uh, and there he is. See you, boys. All right, so uh, U.S. Netherlands, man. Tick-tock, tick-tock, hours tick -tock. away. Tick -tock. There's the uh, tale of the tape as we get set for the round of 16 showdown for a spot in the quarterfinals. Will it be Argentina or Australia? First things first, you got to take care of the Dutch. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, it is time for another tactics lesson here with Juan Carlos Osorio, El Prof. And I can tell you what, we know we are now in the knockout rounds because the magnets on the board have gotten bigger. We got numbers on them. We got positions. We are truly ready to go. Okay, Prof, let's talk about this Dutch side that the U.S. are going to face. How do they set up and show us what do they do well? Right. Um, <clears throat> if they uh, show consistency in their systems, in their structure, then we will expect that the Dutch will play with three in the three at the back. Uh, it's not a line three. It's, it's a defense of three, which is different because they have a a guy who plays in the middle. They Almost like a sweeper, a libero. A sweeper, Van Dijk. Yeah. And then they have a right arm, mm -hmm. could be the leg or the other timber, the left, yeah. And on this side they have Ake, Ake, right? So they have a natural left-footed on the left side, which means that it, that's one of the strongest things they do is they can switch, mm. they can make a long switch to this guy, Dumfries, to the wing back, the right wing back, and vice versa from the other side, especially Van Dyke. Is able to hit that long diagonal pass to blend. blend most of the time. In the middle, they play possessional, uh, the young, that is not a, a proper number six for the Americans or for the U.S. 
number five for the other nations. But he stays there most of the time. He's very good on the ball and always gets from the defenders and is the guy who distributes the, the ball. But he cannot defend very well. Hmm. Now, who plays, whoever plays here with him is usually the guy that goes and becomes the third or fourth attacker. Hmm. Coop Miner sometimes has been that. They, they've changed every single I game. I like yeah. the left-footed guy. Okay. The guy who played the, the, the he plays in the first game and not in the second. Then they have to decide who plays here number 10. Right. And up front, me personally, I like the pie, but he has shown that he likes other, yeah. other players. It could be a fitness issue with Memphis. Right. But now, the strength of the team is obviously how they defend with always five all the time because they do not have proper defensive midfielders. So the wing backs, they, don't, they do not run or make the, those strong runs into the offensive third. It's more like they progress into the middle third and into the attacking third as the team connects more they than build. 10, 12, 15 passes. The problem is for the Dutch that the U.S., especially the three, center, the three central midfielders. I put number six. Adams, yep. As you said, because is in U.S. number six, but it could be number five in other nations, just to make everybody yeah. clear. And I purposely put number two number eights, no number ten, because mm -hmm. I think that this, the, one of the, this, the, the strongest point for the U.S. is that McKinney and Musa, mm -hmm. they can drive the ball Right. Or they can just go and make those long um, penetrating runs. Penetrating yes. runs. Thank Pro you very Profe, much. What and in here, in the middle, they will put a lot of pressure. So it's not going to be very easy for the Dutch. Yeah. Yes, sir. I was going to ask you, would it be very fair to say that Frankie de Jong is the one that kind of makes them move, makes them tick? Yes. So if you could overwhelm him yeah. in the midfield with the trio you're talking about, yeah. you could have a good chance of controlling this game? But the problem is he, de Jong doesn't play here so far. He plays right here. Correct. Along with somebody else. And this is the... Gakpo was the first game they put him yes. there. Burkhaus has been in there. Klassen. No, the, Klassen. Klassen. Yes. That's the guy who has been playing. After he came in in the first game. Mm -hmm. So in the second game, he started there. So I don't think he move, He will move the young from this position. Mm -hmm. Correct. If he does, I think that he, then that he will play a proper central midfielder along with the young and will resign to this player and play somebody here more like a playmaker. Okay. That's what I think. Where can the U.S. hurt them? Because you said they're very strong yeah. in the midfield, but if you want it, they've only, they've only conceded, the Netherlands has only conceded one goal in World Cup play. Where can they hurt them? Because, and that's a very good point, because very, the, the two matches that I have seen live, the, they, the other teams have respect them a lot and they don't attack them. But if you play this scenario, so two versus one in here, he has to make a decision. Correct. Plus, this, this is the ball. Uh -huh. He's running. Let's say McKinney's running with the ball. He has to make a decision, and this guy can go there. When you mean make a decision, you mean he's got to commit he a He has to commit himself. Yes. Very good. Thank you. He has to commit, commit himself, and then that opens a lot of spaces for the number nine, for the... The fullback going into the attack, Robinson or for there. the winger going into the Correct. attack, and the other guy can come here, which will force them to come this way, 
and open the Z14 zone, as we have seen, is critical for any team. Now, so I do think that if U.S. put the high pressure and attack them, they would be vulnerable. I'm so glad you mentioned this space right here because yeah. against Ecuador, I actually think Ecuador should have won that game. I think the so. Ecuador scored two goals. One was called back and they hit the crossbar. But <clears throat> this movement right here from these two wingers inside, as you just said, committing the center back yeah. caused a lot of problems, lot of problems. for the Netherlands. And These two players are so critical, which would be Polisic here and Weya here, but not so much wide coming in, like you just mentioned. Let's hope that Polisic can be in because he would be very, very efficient and very influ. He will have a great influence in this game because most of the time he will, if he has the ball, it will be one v one, right? With a full back running in behind it, he goes and takes him inside, then he goes Robinson, out. Yeah. Or if he takes him here, then he can come, he will have to make a decision. They come and they, he can always cross the ball or play one, two, giving goals, stuff like that. But you're right. What was the main reason why the Dutch suffer against Ecuador with the with speed? Yeah. Because the lick and Nike and even Van Dyke are not the quickest. No. And I think with the speed of Wea, Wright and Polisic, they will suffer. I actually thought this guy was the weakest in terms of speed. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Because he is very slow. Yes. Very technical, very good on the ball. Now, the other scenario that U.S. can go and play them is if, I don't know if they train that system enough, but a lot of times when you play the mirror system, then you go basically for who is best on executing the plan and playing better as a team. When you say mirror system, you're saying the U.S. could potentially yeah. line up in the same formation exactly. as you see from the so Dutch? Exactly. So just, I will not move the numbers, but let's say they have three on the back. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that Adams of plays course, here. Of course, I'm just yeah. saying that they can play Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, it's probably Reed, and Zimmerman, Reed. Carter exactly. Vickers there, yeah. The, the good thing is who he's a left natural yes. left left foot back so he can always hit that ball and whoever is the cover whether it's Zimmerman or uh, Bickers then has to have enough knowledge of the system because he's the guy who is going to sweep in behind them too and then they can play with two great full backs that normally played in the back four and they can do the same job playing with three at the back and Robinson, I would think he can run this guy because then we'll resign this guy and they will be one to one here. And on the other side will be Blin against uh, Dest. Dest. Yes. Ooh, that's now, I like that matchup. Now, how do you organize this? You will have to decide if you played Adam, uh, Adams in the same system, really. Yeah. You can play with three here, different than them the other teams, so you play with an anchor man, which is Adams, and then you play, you still play McKinney and uh, Musa here. And then we have to decide, or they have to decide, if they play with three, or one, two, or two ones in here. So it could be this way. Sorry, it could be, what is my other guy here? Three, six, and then they play with two here at front. Mm. Very right? quickly, Profe, if you can tell me just 40 seconds very quickly, Gakpo. Three goals already in this yeah. World Cup. How do you limit him? Well, he is a very good player going 
I think you say deeper runs. Yes. Yeah, penetrating, from, from yeah. Just penetrating. Arriving from, in the from, area. From deep areas. Okay. Yes, arriving late. Like Bellingham for okay. uh, England. So I think if you play with three at the back, somebody has to take him. It's different when you play with, with the back four, then this guy is no longer there. Right. And he's a man two man. versus two, man to man. But would you have three in the back, somebody has to take him. And I think his strongest point is his aerial game. And I think the back three, if they play that way, Bickers, Zimmerman, and Reims are very good in the air. All right, Prophet, great to have you here with us. That's how it plays out on the tactical board. Let's see tomorrow how it plays out on the field. <coughs>
Brazil takes care of South Korea. Sorry, my South Korean friends. You guys were very fun to watch. Yep. Argentina, US, just this can be a very, very ugly game, I think. <laughs> Rigid, and I think Argentina gets this goal. Uh, Japan versus Brazil, the quality of Brazil will overcome. And then Argentina versus Brazil. Ooh. Semi-final. That's a dream semi-final, right? Neymar. Neymar. Yeah, I mean, if you, you think Neymar's going to be around, man? I mean, just Brazil? Yeah, I think he'll be back okay. after group phase. Yes, so okay. he'll be back for the knockouts. I, there's just too much quality. I know right. they made nine changes today, and they lost to Cameron, but that's nine changes. You introduced Danny Alves, who now becomes the oldest player ever in a World Cup. Um, but it's just so much quality. And if you have Neymar anywhere near optimal level, mm -hmm. after what I saw from Argentina, I don't know how Argentina can withstand that. Right. Uh, I have Brazil going on to the final. Another pick of yours that was interesting to me, because, I mean, Argentina-Brazil, great rivalry. Spain-Morocco to me, you know, given the, the geographic proximity yeah. of those two nations. Neighbors. I'm, I'm interested that you, you picked Morocco, because I think after the first game, we were all like, wow, Spain, no nine, no you, problem. Spain. And Alvaro I mean. Morata then comes in in the second game, and, and he answers the question, too, that he can score a goal. Uh, we also saw it, you know, against Japan as well. I mean, what, like... So I think Japan showed it. The Japan, very mediocre first half versus right. Spain. But in the second half, when they pressed the Spanish team, the Spanish yep. team, especially building out of the back, were very risky. And they lost the ball. It actually turned into goals. So that's a uh, It turned into opportunities Morocco. against. And Morocco's a very good defensive team. And I, I don't know if many teams have the legs to stay with Morocco. Yeah. And I think Morocco can hurt you in a, a bunch of different ways while staying stingy. The only goal, I mean... They gave up a goal versus Canada. It was an own goal. They scored on themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're very good team, stingy team, same Moroccan side that back in January were 31 unbeaten. Uh, I think they can pull up the upset here. You know, in that, you know, build up to the World Cup, those U.S. friendlies, we were kind of critical of the performances, but also even like maybe that you couldn't get better competition, even though it was World Cup competition. Morocco, Japan, round of 16 teams. Clearly, it was it was you good competition for Uruguay. the United States. All right, let's get or to Saudi Arabia. Uh, my bracket, which clearly will not be uh, all that good, I'm sure. My, my picks don't always come off quite as well as yours, Hercules Gomez. Let's start with the uh, U.S. side. I think the U.S. gets through, but I don't know that it'll be in the 90 minutes, Herc. Okay? No, so. I'm not saying mine will be in 90 minutes. Okay, okay. So I'm thinking they get through uh, probably on penalties, maybe extra time, but I'm, I'm putting penalties up officially. Argentina, I think they'll breeze past Australia. Maybe not breeze, but in the end, I think they'll, they'll do damage I, I, there. I, yeah. I'm with you on Japan, man. I, I've been loving Japan for a long time. I think they're just a beautifully technical team. What I didn't necessarily expect from them in this tournament was just how physical they could be. So I'm putting them over Croatia, who I haven't really you mean been impressed in the way, with in yet. the way they run, not physical in the way they... I mean, they could be a little chippy, too. Think they chippy? could be a little chippy, okay. too. Yeah, for sure. They, they've got a little bit of that to them as well. Uh, Brazil over South Korea. Uh, I think, you know, South Korea, as you said, great that they've gotten through, but Brazil should overpower them. I think the Brazil-Japan game for me, uh, kind of like, huh? like Brazil, uh, sorry, Japan, Spain, just two really overwhelmingly technical teams. Man, take the over in that one. Uh, I like Brazil to get it, get through, though, to the semifinals, as well as Argentina, who will end the U.S. run. So, again, I'm putting up that dream semifinal, Argentina-Brazil, which would uh, just be incredible for ratings, you know, worldwide. What about the other side of the bracket? England-Senegal. Uh, I guess I'm kind of with you, Herc. I, I see that as a tight game, but I do see the English getting through. France overwhelming Poland, which sets us up for a beautiful England-France showdown in the quarterfinals. Morocco against Spain. I'm going with Spain. Uh, I think part of that is my bias because I kind of picked them early in the tournament. I don't want to give up on my pick. Okay. Uh, and then Portugal, Switzerland. I don't know. I've never been all that impressed with Portugal. 
but I thought Serbia would get through, so I can't really say that I've been all that high on Switzerland either. I think it'll be a close game. I think it's decided. The Swiss have played well. Eventually, in extra time or in it's penalties. It's you lost that bet to me with Serbia. You're mad at the Swiss. Yes, yes, yeah, I'm mad at the Swiss. Uh, they cost me a pair of shoes or whatever the, the bet was. I think it was actually like $10. Uh, Spain, Portugal. I got Spain <laughs> was a pair of shoes? Portugal in the uh, battle for Let's Ibedia. Get shoes. And then I got uh, France over England. France and Spain in a semifinal. Uh, talk about a nice little neighbor, neighborly rivalry clash there. I got France uh, going through. So uh, what do you think of my bracket there? Any complaints, comments, I, concerns, criticisms, uh, prayers? Yeah, I think thoughts? you're overestimating the Spanish side. Yeah. You know, it's a very young generation. I think you're overestimating the tiki-taka. Hold up, hold up. You always say international football is a young man's game. Yeah, but they don't necessarily play a young man's game. Ah, okay, fair point. They, they don't. It's slow, run. as you're saying. They, they, they don't yeah, play like the U.S. Yeah, it's very slow. It's kill you with a thousand paper cuts type of, type of game. It's yep. very fun to watch at times, but they're still a very young team. And, and Morata's a good goal scorer, but he's never been anybody's goal scorer. You right, know what I mean? Right. Nobody's ever said, you'll be my guy and you're going to stay They've my guy. They've tried to make him that guy. They've tried to make him that. that guy. I mean, Asensio started the first game. And you say what you will about Costa Rica, that's what was your first starter. That's who you thought was the strongest team. Right. We got to the semifinals. Uh, who you got winning it all? Uh, Brazil. Ooh, okay. You got a Brazil-France final? I got a Brazil-France. How about you? I got a Brazil-France final as well. We can't have the same pick, so I'm taking, uh, I'm taking France in the final uh, for that A one. repeat. Let's look back at the round of 16 then. Uh, we'll start with negative. I don't know why we're doing that, but uh, let's start with the biggest letdown in the round of 16. Herc, who are you going with? I'm going with Germany. Um, regardless of what you guys read online, Germany in the last two World Cups has only won two games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see what you're saying. You see where I'm going there? there. And there's no reason for it. It's not like they had last generation, you could say, well, last World Cup, you had players who were on their way out. Kroos, Osil, you had, you had a lot of players who were maybe a little long in the tooth, and that generation just needed to be one way or another fizzled out. They've got a very good generation, mm -hmm. some very good players. You've got... Uh, Goal scorers at all angles. You got a legendary player in Mueller for Germany. You're a well-coached team by Hansi Flick. I, I don't understand how you don't come out of this group. I can understand you not winning the group because mm -hmm. it's Spain is there. They'll right. have something to say about that. But not only did you lose to the Japan. Yeah. There was a moment against Costa Rica where you were losing to Costa Rica. And you can say what you want. You scored four at Costa Rica. But you were being outplayed by Costa Rica. Mm. Your central defense looked very old, and it's just there's no reason for a powerful nation like Germany to be in this situation. I thought there was a huge letdown. Germany out. You, you probably could have picked Belgium, but you said before the tournament that there would be a huge deception, so obviously not going to be your big letdown. My big letdown is a team that I did feel was a real dark horse candidate before the tournament, and that is Uruguay, who really just hours mm. ago went out and went out in shocking fashion as South Korea gets the big result to put them through. We were in the stadium as the Uruguayan team kind of found out what was happening. The tears evident. You saw them on TV from Luis Suarez. They were 40 to 1 to win it all. And I thought, man, that's an incredible value. Because yes, this team has some guys, as you described them, kind of long in the tooth. The Luis Suarez is the, the Edison Cavani's. But man, they got some young talent too. Yeah, they got guys like Fede Valverde who are at the elite level of world football right now. And I really thought that this group set up nicely for them. All due respect to South Korea, all due respect to Ghana. I thought they could get through. I've not been all that high on Portugal for a long time. I really expected more from Uruguay to see them go out. Obviously on a personal level, Mexico's the biggest letdown, but I really, really believed in Uruguay in this Luis tournament. Luis Suarez, Darwin Nunez, mm. and Cavani. Of course. And Valverde, zero goals. Those there guys you have combined. It. So, uh, so those are biggest letdowns.
Let's turn it positive here. What about your biggest surprise so far, Hercules Gomez, from this 2020? I will World be Cup? brief because I think we've spoken about this uh, Japanese team enough, but mm -hmm. wow! Smacking around Germany in the very first game. Huge upset there. To go on, look at that, plus 1,200 pre-tournament odds to win Group B. That's how you make yourself some money. To go on and then beat the Spanish team. Say what you will about how they did it, if it was controversial or not. I, I've loved the the way that the offside has been uh, dealt here and also is it out of bounds or not uh, during this World Cup. They will press you to death. They are so intense. They are yeah. so disciplined. It's a fun team to watch. Uh, they're my big surprise. Yeah. I was really high on them before the tournament, so for me, they can't be that much of a surprise. To win Group B. For me, the big, the big, to win the group, absolutely. But I did th think they had a pretty good chance to get out. Uh, for me, the big surprise has to be Morocco. Uh, because we looked at that group always from a Canadian perspective. You know, we right. focused so much on CONCACAF, and we said, all right, Belgium, even though you called them a decepcion, you know, they're still Belgium. They still have a lot of talented players, whatever you will say about them, even if they are getting older. Croatia. Defending World Cup runners-up. You have to respect that. You have to respect the elite players that they have. Guys like Luka Modric, etc. And we really thought Canada had a shot to get out of this group. So for me, I never really believed in Morocco. Plus, we saw Morocco against the U.S. in the build-up to this World Cup. And it just wasn't all that impressive. Different coach, no Z. Totally, of course. But, yeah. you know, I didn't think that they could go from what they were against the U.S. in that game to winning the group. It certainly surprises me. So big Absolutely. shout out to Morocco. They shocked me there. All right, so we've kind of covered the team angle. Let's go individual here. Who is your best player, Herc, of the group phase? I mean, he, he's the best player in this World Cup. Forget about the group phase. In this World Cup, I know I've touted Neymar before, but Neymar's been injured. I'm in not this talking player. about talent. I'm talking about first three-game performance. Uh, I'm telling you. First okay. three, I'm, I'm just telling you. It couples with that. It's Kylian Mbappe. Okay. Mbappe is one of the best players in the world, having himself a tournament. Three goals, already one assist, and it's, it's how this guy is just a cheat code. Yeah. Like, literally, he puts guys on their butts, on their heels, every without single time without the ball. You've all seen <laughs> yes. the video of him giving a player the hips, the player's on his backside. He is that explosive, he is that dangerous. He is worth the price of admission. He's been incredible in the group phase, and I think he's just getting started. And they need him to be, right? With Karim Benzema, you absolutely 100% need him to be that guy, and so far, Kylian Mbappe has been for France. All right, my best player of the tournament. Can I get a little drum roll, please? For the U.S. men's national team, what, what, Christian what? Pulisic. What network That's do you work right. for? Christian Pulisic, for wow. me, has been the best player of the group phase. You're crazy. He has carried this American team, carried it, Herc. The assist in the first game, which is great a finish as it is from way. I mean, it's medio gol, right? Okay. You can say that. Yeah, it's good. Second game against England. He's bright every single time he touches it. Hit the crossbar And as well. he's so close off yeah. that crossbar okay. to getting a okay. game winner. And then, I think we have to talk about a heroic moment in the must-win game against Iran, where he creates a goal, not with his feet on the ball, but with his vision and his running. Yeah, I mean, that is I, a really, he wouldn't say it was brave in the interview with Sam Borden, that is a really brave run. That's 30 meters right into the goalie, hammering it you're, home. You're crazy, man. You hate Christian Pulisic, what's up? He's not even been the best player for his team. You want to call the best him the, player? Who's the best player for the U.S.? For the, it's Tyler Adams. I mean, different roles. No, 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 no. Don't different give me, roles. I, what network do you work for? Unbelievable. ESPN.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to check the mentions, shall we? Because you folks have been uh, pouring in the questions here. We only got time for one. I'll only do one, right? I'm busy. He going to do one. He going to do one. Here it is from our good friend, Andas. Donde Andas, Andas? As a whole, did CONCACAF fail at this World Cup with only one team advancing to the knockout stage? Hercules Gomez, the floor is yours. CONCACAF is very disappointing in this World Cup. Canada's out, zero mm-hmm. points. Mexico is out. And then the way they went out and who they left in in Poland, very disappointing. But not just Canada, excuse me, CONCACAF in general. The Western Hemisphere, it's Brazil, Argentina, and the United States. Those are the teams that are left in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. That blows my mind. Forget about Canada for a second. Okay. Okay, Canada is... Nothing in world football. In the Western Hemisphere, you've got those three teams. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think Asian Confederation has probably stolen the show. Yeah. Australia, South Korea, Japan, all playing well, all getting through to the round of 16. Morocco representing Africa, U.S. representing CONCACAF. I mean, Senegal representing Africa as well. So, yeah, I mean, CONCACAF right now, if you look at the confederations, it's one of the worst World Cups for this region. No doubt about it. Nothing nothing with Comitable? You're going to be okay that it's only Brazil and Argentina? Well, the toughest qualification in world football. I'm Get no math here. expert, Herc, but two is better than one, right? Conmebol <laughs> is still ahead of CONCACAF. have more teams that can it's go. still ahead of CONCACAF. I don't, you, are, you are right. You are no math expert. All right, time for our parting shot here on this edition of Football Americas, and we will venture, at least for a brief moment, away from the World Cup. As we uh, found out, that Mary Paulson is getting set to make a sale. Portland Thorns. He's also pledged $1 million to establish a NWSL player safety office. Reports are that Paulson does not intend to sell the Portland Timbers. Herc, your thoughts? Remind me again where Gavin Wilkinson worked. Both teams. He worked for both teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. Remind me again if he only has one stain on his presidential ownership resume. Yeah, you're talking about in terms of handling abuse allegations? No, he's got one with the Thorns and one with the Timbers. You're referencing Andy Polo, yes. Andy Polo, the Andy Polo situation. Yeah. I, I don't know how this is even up for debate. I don't know how Major League Soccer can see what NWSL is forcing mm. him to do and not think they're, they aren't under the same obligation. Yeah, yeah. No, it is kind of uh, almost like the rules don't apply here to what they apply there. Obviously, there's a reason, you know, people want Merritt Paulson in that MLS ownership group. He brings value. Uh, there's obviously a long history with the Paulson family. They are very well connected when it comes to finances. His father, a big part of the government uh, back in the day. But I think the point is here, at some moment, Major League Soccer has to say, yes, we're a business. And yes, our allies in that world are valuable. But we are also a community project, right? We are also in some way indebted to the communities that support us. And it's fairly clear that the people of Portland have spoken. Uh, it seems that they no longer want Merritt Paulson, not just in charge 
of the Portland Thorns, but of the Portland Timbers uh, as well. So we will keep an eye on this uh, as the situation continues to develop when it comes to Merritt Paulson's ownership of those two franchises in Portland. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas for Hercules Gomez and producer Beto. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Change of schedule for tomorrow's big game. Of course, the U.S.-Netherlands match starting at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern time there in the United States, 7 a.m. Pacific. We are going right after the final whistle. If it's 90 minutes and done, be right around noon. If it's extra time, be right around 12.30. If it's penalties, maybe a little bit closer to 1 Eastern time. But whenever that game What if ends, there's a coin flip? You, well, steady, steady. You hop over to ESPN Plus and we will be breaking it down. <laughs>